NPR. Arguably the most pressing economic issue in the world is hunger. We've grown up with images of famine on our TV screens, and we hear statistics like about 10% of the world is undernourished. Combine global hunger with the climate crisis, and it all starts to feel a little hopeless. How can we feed 8 billion people, going on 10 billion, sustainably? But there is hope. Farming has gotten a lot more productive over the last century. In fact, we might have reached peak farmland as less land is needed. Global land use for agriculture has actually been going down since 2000. That surprising fact comes from Hannah Ritchie. Hannah is lead researcher at the online publication Our World in Data. She just published the book Not the End of the World, how we can be the first generation to build a sustainable planet. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Paddy Hirsch. And I'm Darian Woods. Today on the show, How to Feed the World. I interview Hannah Ritchie, and together we bust myths about global food production, and we learn about what can really help people and the planet. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Certified Financial Planners. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, Certified Financial Planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor Arctic Wolf. Their researchers have released the Arctic Wolf Lab's 2024 threat report. Why will 2024 be a volatile year for cybersecurity? Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com NPR. At the website Our World and Data, Hannah Ritchie works daily with numbers covering the big trends shaping the planet. And for her new book, she drew on her background as an environmental scientist to write a data-driven investigation into how to meet the needs of people without destroying the environment. And so today we ask Hannah, how can we feed the world sustainably? And to set the scene, I asked her about the long-term stats on hunger. We see long-term declines in, in undernourishment, which is basically just not getting enough calories to eat. The trends there is that Undernourishment has fallen significantly over time, but we still have around one in 10 people just don't get enough food to eat. I think a concerning trend there is that we did have this long-term decline, but in the last few years, we've actually started to see an uptick again, where in some regions, hunger is starting to go up. And in terms of food production, how are we doing at the moment? Yeah, so I think when people think about food production today... So I think people would assume that we just about produce enough food to feed everyone and some people just don't get enough. But actually what you find when you look at the data is that we produce much, much more food than that. Some of the numbers on this, you could approximate that it could be equivalent to around 5,000 calories per person per day. 5,000 calories is about double what the average person needs. Now that's the stuff that we grow. So if you just took the crops out the ground that we grow, that's the amount you would get. 
Now, the, the difference there is that's not the amount that's like available on our plates. There are massive losses and inefficiencies in our food system. One is just purely like food losses and waste. But another couple are we use crops for biofuels and industrial uses. And then a big one is that we feed crops to animals. Now, we get a nutritious meat out in return, but you often lose a lot of the calories that you'd put in and you don't get that in return in meat. Anna says that the average beef cattle gives you just 3% of the calories that was used to feed it. So we, we produce more than enough food to feed 8, 9, 10 billion people, ultimately more than, than 10 billion. But it would require massive changes in how we use that food. It would require massive dietary changes. We would need to rethink how we do biofuels. But this is not a problem of the world can't grow enough food. Hannah explains that people not eating enough is caused by two major forces. First, there's an allocation problem with crops and land going to biofuels and livestock rather than to hungry people's mouths. And secondly, she says there are also local blockages, and that might be caused by wars or natural disasters or pandemic disruptions in a region. But overall, the data show a hopeful message. In terms of feeding the world sustainably, it's already possible to feed the world with the food we grow now. But what about the second part of that phrase? Is the feeding being done sustainably? Yeah, I think our food system really lies at the heart of many of our environmental challenges. Even if you take climate change, so food systems produce around a quarter of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. Mm. But the other big pressures there is that we use around half of the world's habitable land for farming. Uh, 70% of the world's freshwater withdrawals are for farming. It's the leading driver of deforestation. It's the leading driver of biodiversity loss. So when you think about uh, farming and food systems, that is ultimately the biggest pressure on a lot of our environments across the world. All right, so not encouraging stuff. And so before I asked Hannah about potential solutions, I asked her about common misconceptions. What are some common actions that people do to try to eat in a more environmentally conscious way that she would not recommend? Like what about buying locally, eating from farms and gardens that are close to where people live? People, when you ask them what's the best way to reduce the carbon footprint of their diet, they'll often say eat local. When you break it down and look at the data, that's often not what the data says. When we look at emissions from food systems, transport globally is only around 5% of emissions from food. So the food miles are actually quite a small part of the carbon footprint of many foods. Based on the only on carbon footprint, it's not clear that eating local is necessarily a better choice. Buying organic? Also not high on Hannah's priorities in terms of reducing agricultural pressure on the planet. Now, organic farming does have some benefits. It possibly has some benefits for, for local biodiversity. But I think there's also some downsides to organic farming. Like typically, the average organic farm would get slightly lower yields than, than conventional farming. Now, what that means is that you'd need more land to produce that food. And if you're doing that in particular regions that are vulnerable to land use change or deforestation, that could actually have an opposite impact, a negative impact. So again, it's the data is not clear that organic is automatically better for the environment, although many people assume that it is. So buying local, eating organic, not a huge amount of enthusiasm from Hannah. So I asked her what her recommendations would be for feeding the world sustainably. I think there are some 
supply side solutions and some demand side. So I think on the supply side, one of the really positive developments we've seen over the last 50 years or so and has actually driven, you know, the fact that we can grow so much food has been a massive increase in crop yields. So crop yields across the world have, you know, doubled, tripled, in some cases quadrupled. And what that means is you can grow much more food on much less land. Now, from an environmental perspective, that's really important. The reason why crop yields increased so much is basically down to two things, synthetic fertiliser and better crop varieties. Smarter application of both those things could improve yields further. So that's the supply side. And I think on this, the demand side, they are, I think, just a big thing when it comes to these environmental challenges is, is meat production. Um, meat production tends to require the most land, require the most water, release the most greenhouse gases, drive the most deforestation. And then on the demand side, I think what's just going to be really key, and I, I acknowledge is, is much more difficult, is, is dietary change. Significantly reducing global meat consumption would have a big impact on these environmental problems. I think if we were to, to massively reduce the environmental pressures from farming, then, then starting to reduce global meat consumption will be a big part of that. It's a tough sell to say to the world, become vegetarian. So how do you think about this issue? I mean, it's not in my position to tell anyone what to eat, and I think people don't respond to that very well. I don't think it's that we necessarily have to go completely vegetarian or completely vegan. I think for many people that's really unrealistic. But I think there are steps we can take, especially in richer countries where we consume a lot of meat. This is not, uh, you know, no one in the world can eat any meat, and especially in low-income countries, it's a really important part of nutrition. But in high-income countries in particular, we eat a lot of meat. And even just cutting back... Um, whether it's you know going meat free for a day or switching out meat at a particular meal can start to make a big difference. So I think this is not necessarily an all or nothing, but it's how can we take steps that start to alleviate some of this environmental pressure. So can we feed the world sustainably? Yes, we can. We might not. We they may, I mean it's not inevitable that we do, but I think we have the the capacity to do so, and I hope my book kind of inspires some people to take some actions. Well, Hannah Ritchie, thank you so much for joining The Indicator. Thank you. This episode was produced by Angel Carreras with engineering by Josh Newell. It was fact-checked by Julia Ritchie, and it was edited by Patty Hirsch. Kate Cannon edits the show, and The Indicator is a production of NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear... It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Your employees are more than your coworkers. They're the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers modern group benefits designed to protect employees and their families with dental, vision, life, and disability coverage. Humana knows every employee and every business is unique. That's why they listen to your needs and build plans with you and your team in mind. That's the power of human care. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. This spring, Mint Mobile has unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Go to mintmobile.com indicator. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply.